You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. wasn't that it was Paul's gospel in the sense that he created it or he fashioned it. It was Paul's gospel in the sense that he personally believed it and he personally spread that. Can you say that about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it your gospel? Is it your gospel? Do you believe it so much and you want to spread it so much that it becomes yours? That's what Paul was saying. I give, he gave it to me, but I believe so much into it that it becomes what I live by. I live by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you live by? It makes a big difference. In today's message, Pastor Dave teaches you that you can say whatever you want, but when you live by it, it makes all the difference in the world. Is the gospel of Jesus your gospel? Has it changed your life? Can other people see how it's affected you? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Romans chapter 2 as he continues his message. After these things, Paul departed from Athens to Corinth. Paul now was truly a man of no partiality. As a Pharisee, Paul was extremely prejudiced. As a Pharisee, he was extremely prejudiced towards those that weren't Jewish. He was extremely prejudiced to this new sect that come up, this way. And he went out of his way to destroy it. Paul was extremely a prejudiced man, but now he knew that God shows no partiality, not only in his judgment, but he also shows no partiality in the, who receives salvation is in dispensation of grace. And he bestows that to everybody. Again, going back to Romans, look what he writes in Romans 2 to 11. Therefore, after what he said about man, the depravity of man, and what he said about man's just complete disgustedness in our natural state, he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are to judge. Who do you to judge somebody? For in whatever you judge another and and condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, anguish on every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory, honor, peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Paul wrote these words, as I said, in Corinth. Remember, he pointed out that sin and these no- who were notoriously guilty, these people. And now he says, now I'm going to talk about the people who are, okay, 
morally, supposedly, in their conduct, and they're walking around congratulating themselves. You know, it's kind of like the Pharisee who wakes up in the morning and says, thank God I'm like that, that person. You know, condemning himself. These people are respecter of persons. Their moral conduct is okay, but they judge those who don't act like they do. They judge those that are different. You know, in the synagogues, rabbis even taught that God showed partiality towards the Jews, that there was going to be one condemnation for the Jews and one condemnation for the Gentiles. The rabbis taught that. But we remember when we read Acts 10? Remember as the Lord opened Peter's eyes and and opened his heart at what what he wanted to accomplish? In Acts 10, 34, Peter says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Peter, Peter, my young little rabbi friend, my young little Jewish friend, you did not know what the law said in Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 to 18? For the Lord your God of, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, a great mighty God, awesome, who shows no partiality or takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in, in the land of Egypt. God doesn't grant special favors for the poor or the rich. Being a good moral person doesn't make me any more special to him. Neither does being a great sinner. He looks at us all the same. God will judge you and judge you equally. God doesn't recognize the dress where I wear a suit or whether I wear rags. God looks at the person in the clothes, not the clothes themselves. God doesn't care what nationality you are. He doesn't care where it is that you've come from. He doesn't care about your rank. Believe me, I was pretty rank. That was a pun. He also doesn't care about your station in life. He'd just rather sue, save the president as a pauper. Would that he would save our president. But Paul understood this about God. It is, he was impartial. It was God who's going to judge us according to our deeds. But it's also God who gives salvation to those who confess and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul learned this firsthand from Christ himself. It was after these things that Paul went to Corinth. I love this about Paul. And another characteristic about Paul I love is that he understood the grace of God. He understood God's grace. Do you understand God's grace? Do you really understand God's grace? Can you stand somewhat next to somebody who is so vile and so filthy and practicing such filthy, rotten deeds and is so sinful and say, God loves you? Because that's what it means. That's what God's grace is all about. God's grace is not just for us at Calvary Chapel. Ooh, we got it. Oh, let's just keep it to ourselves. We got God's grace. We don't want to tell them about that. It's ours. Come on. It's not some esoteric thing that only we have the knowledge about. Nobody else can get. God has dispensed his grace to all, and we need to be dispensers of God's grace also. I love this about Paul. He wasn't prejudiced, and he wanted everyone to know Christ, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when he got to Corinth, it was the latter two that he saw most of. Paul knew that the grace of God was extended to everyone, including him, a murderer. 
Paul was willing to subject himself to this debauchery. He was willing to be exposed to this lifestyle in hopes of winning those to Christ. That was what Paul wanted to do, and I love this about him. But we, on the other hand, and I speak of me, not talking about you, I'm talking about we, on the other hand, me, are not like the Apostle Paul because most of us, me included, show partiality. We show partiality. Be honest with yourself. We show partiality. We look at those who are using the system in contempt. We look at them with despising eyes and with judging hearts when we have the answer that would help them keep them from using the system. Jesus Christ is the answer. But we look down upon them. We look at those who are caught up in sin and we judge them. We judge them. We look at those who have different lifestyles than us and we can't get along with them because they're different. Way too often we're the judge and we're the person who who decides who should be saved and who shouldn't. We're the ones who decide who should receive the gospel and who should not. How dare us? How dare us decide that? Who are we to decide that when God is going to be the one who judges all? This is being and showing partiality. But when you're born again, you're supposed to have a new nature. Behold, all things are supposed to be new. There's no room in a Christian's life for partiality. There's no room in a Christian's life for prejudices, but they exist. Paul knew this, he understood this, and he lived this. It was his life because he knew that he was so connected to Jesus Christ, that unio mystica, he knew that he was so connected with Jesus Christ that when he would walk, Christ would walk. When he would speak, Christ would speak. When he would think, Christ would think. He was so connected to him. In the book of James, we're warned about being partial. James says, my brethren. So that means it's written to those that are saved. My brethren, he calls them. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, sit here in the good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there. Sit here at my footstool. Have you not just shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is so difficult. This is so difficult because it's easy for all of us to fall in this trap. I'm not standing here with a condemning heart, friends. I'm standing here with an encouragement thing that we're new in Christ. And Christ has changed those things from us. And when I point out to you, there are three fingers or four fingers pointing back at me. We need to learn this, that there's no partiality in Christ. But it's a part of our whole social structure. Even our president is trying to divide the classes and make us at war with each other. We respect people above others, but we have to be careful we don't fall in this trap. I mean, come on. You remember? Hi, I'm Dr. Such and Such. Ooh, a doctor. I have so many initials behind my name. I'm pretty good. We respect that person. We think there's something special about them. We become a respecter of persons. God isn't a respecter of persons. And James wrote in a very partial age. He wrote at a time where prejudice was huge and hatred on bias of classes, ethnicity, nationality, and religious background. In the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently categorized because they were either Jew or Gentile. There were no difference. They were either slave or free, rich or poor, Greek or barbarian or whatever. But Christ has died for all. Christ has died for everyone. But the same prejudices exist today. There are class prejudices. There is ethnic clashes. There's nationality clashes. There's religious clashes. We build walls. We build walls which are significant because guess what? 
Jesus broke down the walls. Jesus broke down the walls. Remember our study in Ephesians? Remember 14 and 15 in chapter 2? For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He's made us all one the unio mystica of Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's made us all one. When we are prejudiced, we are respecters of people, and it shows that we care more about the outward appearance than upon the heart. God doesn't look at it that way. You know what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. God looks at the heart, and so should we. When we're prejudiced, it shows that we misunderstand who is important and blessed in God's eyes. We assume that because a man standing in the community is more important to God or more blessed by God, and we put value on that in the material things. This is wrong. Paul was not like that. Paul had a burning desire to teach everyone Christ and Christ crucified. It was after this that Paul went into Corinth. It was after he learned this from Christ himself that he went into Corinth. After these things, we see that Paul was upset by what happened in Athens. Hughes says, for a man like Paul, burning with prophetic unction, smug complacency in his hearers was too much for him to bear. So he left Athens in search of more receptive fields. He didn't even wait for Timothy and Silas who were en route. We now get a glimpse of how Paul felt when he went into Corinth. We read it last week. We're going to read it again in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 3. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. This is another thing I love about the Apostle Paul is he kept the message simple. He kept the message simple. I think he learned this the hard way in Athens, and he kept the message simple. It was Christ and Christ crucified. He didn't over-intellectualize the message. He didn't make the message so hard to understand that only certain people would get it. No, the message was simple. It was clear. It was concise, and it was to the point. Paul knew the value of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation, the gospel message, and that's what he taught because that's what he was taught by Jesus Christ. We see again in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul simplifies the gospel into several lines. Several lines. This is the gospel in a nutshell. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I, Paul, delivered to you all which I also received. Paul said, I'm delivering to you that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel message right there. Paul delineated. It was so clear. It was so clear. So concise. Paul didn't make up this gospel. It wasn't his. He received it. He didn't receive it from man. He received it from Jesus Christ, according to Galatians 1, 11 and 12 that we studied when we did our men's study in the book of Galatians. He received it by revelation from Christ himself. It wasn't Paul's gospel. And then he delivered it. It wasn't that it was Paul's gospel in the sense that he created it or he fashioned it. It was Paul's gospel in the sense that he personally believed it and he personally spread that. Can you say that about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it your gospel? Is it your gospel? Do you believe it so much and you want to spread it so much that it becomes yours? That's what Paul was saying. I give, he gave it to me, but I believe so much into it that it becomes what I live by. 
I live by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, notice that the preacher doesn't make the gospel. If he makes it, it's not worth having. Originality in preaching, if there be originality in the statement of doctrine, is falsehood. We are not makers and inventors. We are repeaters. We tell the message we have received. It was after these things that Paul was now more determined than ever when he gets to Corinth. He was more determined than ever. So Paul is no respecter of persons. He understood grace of God as being available to all. He kept the gospel simply. And finally, Paul never stopped preaching the gospel message. Nothing strayed him. Nothing kept him from his appointment that God had given him. He told the Corinthians that he was with them in fear and trembling and weakness after he came from Athens. When you read this, you see Paul really went through the ringer. He was really put through the ringer by those philosophical nuts. I mean, they really took care of him. But he knew what he'd been called to do, and he would remain faithful to that regardless of the circumstances. Paul never let anything to prevent him in witnessing Christ. He wrote, again, in Corinthians, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in needs of distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fastings. We can learn so much from the Apostle Paul. He's speaking about the physical rigors of ministry, the physical rigors when you share the gospel. And there's mental rigors too. Paul didn't allow any physical or mental issues to keep him from spreading God's word. We wake up, and if the wind's blowing out of the wrong direction, I can't go to church today. I can't fellowship with the saints. I can't learn of God. We come up with more excuses than we can ever imagine as to why we can't fellowship with God. But I love the Greek word for patience here. Hoopamoni. What a wonderful word. Hoopamoni. The idea is not passive waiting, but an active endurance. I love that. Not passively waiting. The idea here is that the Greek word doesn't describe someone in the frame of mind who just sits with folded hand, bowed head, and let a torrent of troubles sweep over them with positive resignation. It describes their ability to bear things in such a triumphant way that it actually transfigures them. Do your trials and tribulations transfigure you? Do your trials and tribulations do that that which they are called to do in your life and to make you better, to make you more of a witness for Jesus Christ, to draw you closer to Christ, to help you to come into a closer relationship with him, or do you allow your trials and tribulations to keep a distance from Christ, to pull you away from Christ? Paul used his trial and tribulations to draw him closer to Christ, to give him more resolve to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to that he knew what he was doing, what was God has called. Paul needed this endurance to go through tribulations, needs, distresses, and beatings and imprisonments, mobs trying to kill him, and self-inflicted labor, sleeplessness, and fastings as he put himself through. Through it all, Paul never stopped preaching the gospel. He never stopped using his life as an example for Jesus Christ. Can we say the same thing? In the very next verses, Paul tells us about the resources that were available to him and are available to the believer to triumph over this adversity. He says, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on my left. Wow. When Paul spoke of trials, he always followed it with the blessings that the trials brought. Yeah, trials bring blessings. Trials bring blessings. It was after these things that Paul went to Corinth. The things we can learn from the Apostle Paul. He was no respecter of persons. 
He understood God's grace, that it was available to all. He never allowed anything to prevent him from delivering that which the Lord had called him to do. No wonder, no wonder Paul can say with such confidence, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Wow. My heartfelt prayer for us is that we would draw ever closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of him and that we would be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, that, that we would be no respecters of people, that we would, would witness to Jesus Christ regardless of someone's standing, regardless of who it is, regardless of their background, regardless of our relationship with them or even past relationships. It's my prayer that we would understand the gift that God has given us in his grace, that we would understand it to the fully And know it's available to everyone. It's not something special that only one person can get and somebody doesn't get. God's grace is available to all of us and what it means. What does God's grace mean? I would pray that we would understand that. And I pray that nothing would keep us from sharing God's love. Many, many people do many, many great things. I mean, you'll see the president, you'll see Donald Trump, you'll see all these great people. All of a sudden, they're in these shelters serving people turkey. Oh, what wonderful, great people they are. Where's their heart? Or is it just a photo up? Let me leave you today with Paul's encouragement that he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's one of my favorite verses. We've used it in this avenue before. It was after these things. It was after his visit to Corinth, and he wrote to them, and he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, I say to you today, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, Therefore, my beloved brethren, Paul says, be steadfast. I'm telling you, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is my encouragement to you today, to be steadfast. Let nothing come in your way of sharing the gospel. Let nothing come in the way of your joy. Let nothing come in your way to keep you from rejoicing in who you are, a new creature in Christ. Wait a minute, you're not a new creature? Let's change that today. Let's change that today and become born again today. Become born again. Accept Christ as your Savior and come into a living hope. And be born again. And be steadfast. Be immovable. I will not move on what I know. And I know that God's love is perfect and pure and available to everyone. I can't hold this in any longer. I'm going to run down Seashore Road screaming Jesus is alive. God loves you. Brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Knowing that your work that you abound in the Lord is not in vain. What we do is not in vain. This young lady in Las Vegas witnessed to me over an hour and a half of Jesus Christ. Witnessed to me about God's love. Witnessed to me Bible scriptures. Told me all about salvation. Led me through the Romans road. She was great. I've never seen her again, but I can't wait to see her in heaven and say thanks. Thanks. Because the seed you planted, the seed you planted in the middle of Sin City, in the middle of my debauchery days, in the middle of the days when I was as low as I could possibly go, in the middle of the times when I was just nothing but a sinful, hurtful, harmful man, that seed you planted blossomed, blossomed. And that's what I'm talking about. And that's what happened after these things, after Paul left Athens and on his way to Corinth. We never know. We never know. Don't hold it back. You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. 
Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.